Good afternoon. My name is Ian Chan, Principal of Professional Learning and Development, and I am pleased to welcome you to this special CPA Canada podcast. In today's podcast, we will discuss how to navigate the remote closed process. On behalf of CPA Canada, it's now my pleasure to introduce today's host, Rob Torek, as well as our guest, Chris Matson. Rob is a senior manager in the Financial Accounting Advisory Services practice of Ernst & Young, where he works with a national and global team advising finance executives on a wide range of accounting and performance management issues. Chris is an associate partner in the Financial Accounting Advisory Services Group, where he specializes in advising finance leaders to better partner with business stakeholders to drive critical business insights and support strategic decision-making and growth. Please join me in welcoming Chris and Rob. Good morning. My name is Rob Torek. I'm a senior manager with Ernst & Young's Financial Accounting Advisory Services Practice in Toronto and the host of CPA Canada's virtual classroom series on dynamic planning and forecasting. We're now at the end of April. A number of organizations have gone through a financial close at the end of the first calendar quarter of the year. And today coincidentally marks our our major banks financial quarter close dates. So we thought it would be a timely conversation to talk to one of our specialists who's been helping clients go through a remote close process, which entails employees working from home, being distant from one another, not necessarily having physical access to a number of different documents, and the associated security and compliance risks that go with being in in different environments and being virtual from one another. So I'm going to introduce my colleague, Chris Madsen. Chris is an associate partner in the same practice that I'm in, in Toronto, and recently led a webinar on the topic for Ernst & Young. So I'd like to cover a number of topics with you, Chris, today, uh, starting with what are some of your clients and and companies' key challenges as they prepare for a remote close or as they try to improve the remote close they may have already done? Sure. And uh, thanks, Robin. And good morning, everyone. Uh, Some of the main risks and challenges organizations are facing include the impacts of new or enhanced accounting reporting and disclosure requirements, particularly around impairment, going concern analysis, and the establishment of effective tax rates. Uh, General business interruption that leads to incomplete or delayed receipt of information from upstream businesses, site-level operations, um, and other information providers. Schedule delays caused by remote and distracted workforces who are trying to juggle multiple personal and professional commitments simultaneously. I know for myself personally, um, I recently repassed grade five math and uh, long division. (laughs) So playing the role of parent educator while trying to to work and and complete a close in, uh, in a timely manner. Cybersecurity implications and the secure sharing of data and proprietary information with third parties, including your regulators, creditors, auditors, um, all within a remote environment. And then I think lastly, um, dealing with the impact of all the underlying process changes and new ways of working um, while ensuring your risks are managed and your controls are still effective and in place to effectively mitigate risks um, in, in this environment. I'm tempted, Chris, to ask you what's in grade five math and long division, because I really don't remember. Uh, But let's focus instead on some of the the accounting and tax regulations, some of the changes that, uh, that, uh, that companies need to be aware of as they go through a closed process. 
Yeah, and, and fair point. First, you know, I think it's important uh, to acknowledge the reality that at, at this point in time, there's tremendous uncertainty at play uh, in many areas relevant to financial reporting. Um, now more than ever, robust disclosures around some of the key assumptions, inherent in estimates, the uncertainties involved, and, and really the, the sensitivity around estimates in the cycle will be very important. And I, and I think we'll talk a little bit about forecasting mm-hmm. uh, coming up. But there are three main topics within financial accounting and reporting that are seeming to attract a significant amount of attention today. And those are impairment going concern and tax provisioning. So the establishment of your effective tax rate and then the realizability of deferred tax assets. I'll talk briefly about the considerations for each of the above, but there's um, also you know, a significant amount of posted information externally if, if, if our listeners want more detail. So from an impairment perspective, really the current conditions may require goodwill, equity investments, and other assets to be tested for impairment. So issues around revenue declines, supply chain disruption, business closures, these could all be signs or or indicators of impairment. Going concern analysis will require uh, management to assess their entity's ability to to really continue as a a going concern for for a period of, of one year. And here, when, when management's aware of material uncertainties related to events or conditions that may cast doubt upon their ability to continue as a going concern, these uncertainties have to be disclosed and will require time to be built into that closed calendar to accommodate this additional analysis. The degree and uh, of consideration required and the level of disclosure necessary will really depend on individual facts and circumstances, but it's important to note here that not one size fits all. and each entity will be affected kind of in a different manner. And then finally, I mentioned tax provisioning. So the two most impacted areas here are the estimated annual effective tax rate and the measurement and recognition of deferred tax assets. So organizations first need to consider how frequently their earnings forecast will need to be updated and the basis for the best estimate for the annual effective tax rate, which for some may be the effective tax rate for the year-to-date period. Next is the recognition or or realizability of deferred tax assets, and this is another area that requires a significant amount of judgment, and the current financial conditions will require um, all of our companies and listeners to carefully consider and document their approaches to estimating their deferred tax positions for the upcoming periods. So in short, upcoming reporting cycles will require more analysis around assumptions, their strengths, and the calculations to measure and recognize deferred taxes. And it's important to embed additional time in the closed cycle to allow for this analysis. Thanks very much, Chris, that's great. I know you touched in earlier in that, in that response about uh, some forecasting and planning. So let me switch gears a little bit and ask you about it. How do you see, or how would you suggest businesses forecasts, forecasting and scenario planning be used to support the close? And do you have any practices that some of your clients have adopted to reduce uncertainty and to better understand or to better gaze into a crystal ball, so to speak? Yeah, uh, two main points come to mind uh, as it pertains to scenario planning and forecasting. And the first is that companies should consider leveraging, if not already, leveraging a scenario-based forecast that's probability-weighted. And for those that are less familiar, scenario-based forecasting is really a a critical tool for dealing with the uncertainty as it allows for the development of of multiple scenarios that can then be risk-weighted or probability-assessed. Um, 
and and really to be most beneficial uh, planning departments should be focused on the nearer term and making sure that each of those scenarios are customized by business unit we have one client that i've been recently speaking to that runs their business on six cycles annually and they're now leveraging a three-week rolling forecast for sales gross margin and net income and prior to the crisis, they had also started leveraging this notion of a scenario-based probability-adjusted analysis to forecast growth, but they quickly turned those growth scenarios into revenue reduction scenarios, which really allowed them to take preventative action as a result of COVID-19 and align proactively their expenditures to meet the reduced demand for their services. So they got out ahead of this and were really able to, to better weather the storm. So I think understanding the scale of the financial impact is, is really important and is really the starting point. In developing your forecast, I think it makes sense to focus more rigorously on the short and medium term where information and assumptions are a little bit more reliable, and then making sure that you're risk weighting and adjusting probabilities as new information becomes available. So really your ability to kind of quickly update your forecast will be critical. The company that that I mentioned earlier has recently, just talking to them last night, they've moved to daily revenue and gross margin forecasts, which for many organizations just won't be doable, but moving to more regular or frequent forecasts with true ups as, as actual information comes available will be important. The second thing really is, and I mentioned it earlier, is to utilize business risk scenarios. So it may seem obvious, but how these scenarios play out is really where you know it gets complicated. So for example, how your customers might be impacted, how your receivables might be impacted, how lenders may react, government agencies and the assistance that they're providing and how that manifests itself in different geographies. All of those considerations will be important. So having this risk-based analysis will really assist in interpreting the the financial impacts and the financial scenarios can then be developed with probabilities assigned to better kind of look into the, the future to the extent possible, given that none of us have a, a crystal ball. So to close, I think, you know, scenario planning is and, and, and will continue to be a, a critical management and financial reporting tool. Uh, on the financial reporting side, using scenario-based forecasts to facilitate estimates and disclosures for impairment, going concern and tax provisioning, as I mentioned, and from a FP&A and management reporting perspective, um, you know, it will continue to act as a fundamental capability to drive that management reporting, analysis, and support of, of business decision-making um, and, and, and insight. That's great, thank you. And I, as you were commenting and describing those, those ideas, Chris, the, the thought that ran through my head uh, in talking about scenario planning and forecasting was to say that, or to remind our listeners that the worst case scenario you can envisage is always going to be worse than the one you've already seen. And that's this pandemic exemplifies that almost perfectly. The second thing I'll mention, or the next question I wanted to cover rather, is to ask you a little bit about the process impacts and considerations uh, companies should be thinking about as, as they go through the either their first quarterly close or a monthly close after a quarter, depending on where they are in the, uh, in the economic calendar. What, have your, what are your thoughts on some of the process impacts and considerations they should be thinking about? Yeah, I think, I think the best way to handle this question, Rob, is really to utilize a, an operating model framework. So looking at the impacts across people, 
process and technology. Many authorities and pundits on the subject are also looking at now, next, and beyond. So we'll touch on those considerations as well. Um, generally, there are a few leading practices organizations should be thinking about as, as they conduct their remote close and then prepare for future close cycles. I'll quickly mention the, the main practices, and then we can spend a bit more time walking through some of the people process and technology related considerations that, that cut across each of the practices. Um, so first, prioritization. Ruthless prioritization and movement of non-critical items off the critical path will be beneficial. So really asking yourself two questions. The first being, is what I'm doing required? And then if so, am I doing it efficiently? And then you can turn your attention to um, the higher priority areas where more detailed disclosure um, will be needed throughout the close. The second is, is what I've bucketed under governance. So many organizations are establishing virtual command centers to help them govern and manage the close, as mm-hmm. well as drive collaboration um, across the various stakeholders in, in the process. And then third, Communication. So communication, 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 consulting with your peers to capture their experiences, share practices, align on industry standards, uh, communicating with up and downstream stakeholders, such as site operations, corporate functions, your external auditors, and then um, finally, with any third-party service providers. So organizations that utilize um, shared services or business process outsourcing, ensuring that your service providers' risks are managed and that there are no surprises at year end. So those are kind of the three main um, buckets or themes. I'm going to go into a little bit more detail, as mentioned, around the people, process, and technology tips and practices um, to get a little bit more tactical that, that some of our clients are adopting and that have assisted with the remote close. The first is is people. So appointing a closed project manager that is in place to oversee and and manage the closed cadence is important. Building in redundancy. So looking across the closed cycle at what are the critical roles and then establishing a coverage plan, which may include having to cross-train individuals. Certain Mm -hmm. organizations are using daily pulse meetings with their team to review status, escalate issues, um, and ensure that they're they're tracking to to that um, closed calendar and, and cadence. And then it's important to monitor employee workloads and both mental and physical health, which could be triggered through or alerted to management through unexpected absences across the cycle. From a process standpoint, uh, a number of things, that, one of which I mentioned is the prioritization. And, and here we see resequencing of, of activities in and along the closed calendar to accommodate delays in normal activities and allow for increased time for disclosures, as, as I mentioned earlier. Using a risk-based approach is, is really important to help identify what areas are critical and what areas will require additional analysis given, given the current impact of, of the COVID-19 pandemic. Here, some examples might be use of estimates and accruals, moving items forward in the close, so starting kind of day minus five um, and working through some items to alleviate that critical crunch uh, at the beginning of the prior month. 
risk rating account reconciliations and, and reconciling less material accounts less frequently are all kind of examples around process activities that, that can be shifted. And then developing additional communication and collaboration protocols. And, and I, I mentioned the importance of communication, but this is really to look at your upstream information providers and look at where there might be risks in receipt of cost or volume information from operations, building in additional time for your tax function to provide their tax estimates and provisions, and then really working with operations and other parties to capture information that might be critical to completion of the MDNA. The last piece is, is really around technology and, and um, very important is the use of automated dashboards to monitor and track progress of those critical path activities. So companies are adopting tools such as Blackline, Trintech, Microsoft Planner looking at collaboration tools for document sharing and, and real-time chats, such as Microsoft Teams, and then ensuring that systems are, are tested and that feeds from upstream businesses and processes are going to be provided in a timely manner. So we have clients that perform mock closes and also test their entire system bandwidth by having all members of their accounting and reporting function VPN into the system at the same time to ensure that the system has the capacity to to handle the load. That's great. Thank you. And, and that last comment actually reminded me of some experiences I'd had in the past where that was ultimately a cause of significant issue. Let, let me turn to the to the last topic I was hoping to to cover with you today, which is to ask about what are the internal the key internal control implications that organizations need to be thinking about with employees working from home, usage of VPNs, etc., uh, and and both so both physical and virtual security and control implications around a remote close. Yeah, I'll break this one down, Rob, into kind of two points. The the first is understanding the control gaps that could potentially have been created by any underlying process changes and, and movement to remote working arrangements. Some companies I've talked to are spending time now to understand the changes in their control design that have taken place due to the remote working environment. In, in here, the, the structure of, of a company's controls will impact how much has changed or how much needs to change. And we're seeing that controls that are very manual in nature are in the most need of, of modification in a virtual environment. So this really presents an opportunity for clients to, to review their existing control environment, look for ways to introduce automation, movement from detective controls to preventative controls, and really try to optimize their environment just due to the, the changes. The second is really at an organizational level where new risks could have been created by events due to the crisis. So less around gaps, but really looking at the new risks that are caused by new processes and new ways of working. So here it's important to really build in that transparency to find the true operational impacts and ensure that the, the risks are, are properly mitigated. So some examples that I'll quickly mention, there's, there's several, but top three or four where changes may arise that, that could really impact your control environment will be in and around your IT access controls that we that we mentioned. So some companies are experiencing the need to change the way their IT access controls are provisioned to allow their workforces mm -hmm. to, to work remotely. The other one, and I mentioned it earlier, is really around your external service provider relationships. So from a control perspective, you know, it's important for you to understand 
any control issues at your service providers um, could become issues for you at year end when you receive your control reliance reports. So really understanding kind of that SOC 3416 and what the implications are there. One of the more significant ones is controls that can no longer be performed, such as your year-end physical inventory counts and how organizations are strategizing around other compensating controls that can be used to mitigate risk given that the controls just simply can't take place. And then I think finally, from a redundancy perspective, we talked a little bit about building in that redundancy for key roles. Here, it's more particularly important for companies to assess potential points of failure with their control owners and just ensuring that there's backups in place in case a, a control owner is unable to perform their, their regular functions. That's great, Chris. Thank you. I know we've, uh, we've taken about the time we were, uh, we were you know, promising or hoping to take of yours today. So thanks very much for, uh, for sharing these thoughts on the remote close process and some of the key risks and controls organizations need to think about. Uh, again, we'll point uh, our listeners to the CPA Canada website, as well as our own, the EY Canada website. If you're looking for additional details or additional resources, uh, both of these will have a fair bit of information and a fair bit of detail, both as professional guidance and also what some of your peers in industry and other industries may have uh, been going through. So with that, I want to close this series of podcasts we've conducted uh, that hopefully will give our listeners and CPA Canada members a chance to uh, to run their businesses a little bit better, a little bit more smoothly through the, the tail end, we hope, of this pandemic. Thank you very much for listening to us today and have a great day. We thank you for listening to this podcast. For further information about CPA Canada and our available resources, I encourage you to visit our website at www.cpacanada.ca. This material is provided for educational purposes only. Although it has been carefully prepared and reviewed, the presenters and CPA Canada cannot accept legal responsibility for its contents or for any consequences arising from its use. The materials are meant to provoke and facilitate thought and reflection. The guidance provided to participants in response to these items is not to be interpreted as conclusive judgment on any specific situation and should not be directly applied to other situations.